0: Welcome to episode three of the Pop Cultivator Podcast. I am your host Sean De Pasquale, and I'm here as always with Josh Blaylock. I guess my co-host. Josh, are you my co-host, or are you just a guest that won't leave?
1: Whatever you want me to be.
0: All right, my guest that won't leave, Josh Blaylock, and uh, and then we're joined today uh, once again by Mike Horn, our Chief Business Development Officer. Hi, Mike.
2: Greetings from Chile, Colorado.
0: Ooh, it's probably colder there than it is here, but it's cold here in California too, at least for us. Uh, What's the weather Oh, it's 50.
2: No, it's nice. It snowed yesterday and it's sunny today. It's just a perfect gorgeous winter day here. (laughs)
0: Lovely, lovely. And then we have a new guest, as promised last week, that we would bring in another person that you haven't heard from yet. Today we're joined by Alma Silva, who is the director of events uh, and investor community management? Uh, hi, Alma.
3: Hi, hi guys. How how are you? I'm good.
0: Alma, you and I have not really gotten a chance to talk too much yet, so I'm excited to do this episode just to get to know you a little better myself, but then also hopefully so that the investors and and anyone else listening is is also able to have a better idea of. Who works at this company and what everybody does. So, Alma, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Well, um, right now um, I'm the director of events and you know investor community and management. Um, now that we have uh, more investors, I'm gonna start to engage with them. So I haven't yet uh, gotten into that, uh, but that that is something that we're you know it's gonna start pretty soon. Um, And just basically communicating what's going on with the, you know, our projects, everything that we're doing. Um, Like the podcast itself, you know, it's a way for them to get to know us, to get to know the team. Um, And my job is to basically relate all of the information, you know, everything that we're doing Um, right now, as far as events, um, obviously because of COVID-19. Um, we don't have anything planned, but it also, you know, we don't know what the future of events will be like. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of stuff will be done in a digital way. So that's something that we're looking into. Um, and it's definitely something, you know, for the investors, for um, other fans.
0: Well, that's, that's pretty cool. So how do you get into investor community management? It sounds a lot like, I'm sure I'm simplifying, but essentially you're like the conduit between what's going on at the company and the, and the investors, right? I mean, that's your, that's your primary job.
3: Yeah, exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. So how do you, how do you get involved in something like that? Uh, Does it, are, are you just really good at handling people? Or was there is there a specific path that you follow to get into into that kind of uh, position? Or how, how did you find your way to Pop Cultivator?
3: Well, um, I it's Josh. Uh, you know, as you guys previously said in um, previous shows, he is the one who's basically, you know, put this whole team together. Um, and I basically met him about 10 years ago. Um, I was fresh out of it's actually
1: even school- longer than that.
3: <laughs> really? Well, okay. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Go ahead.
3: Uh, well, uh, apparently it's been longer than that. Um, so I was fresh out of art school, and um, I was living in Chicago, and I knew that I wanted to do, you know, an internship in something that was related to the art field. Um, so I was searching on Craigslist, and I found this ad, and you know, I sent in my resume, um, and they called me. And I show up to this interview, you know, interview 101, uh, dressed as if I was going to an office job. You know, I wasn't sure what I needed to wear. So I'm wearing this black dress and I'm wearing heels and I walk in and then I see the other candidates and everyone's just casually dressed. You know, they're wearing sneakers, they're wearing jeans and t-shirts. And I take a look at them and I remember this very clearly because I saw them and I thought, oh my God, I'm not gonna get this they're gonna look at me and they're gonna think I'm pretentious or I am just not a good fit but you know I'm here so let's go for it um but I guess you know they like me and it wasn't actually Josh who I did the interview with um so Josh didn't even know who was hired I didn't meet him until my first day
0: well, first of all, Josh, it seems like you got a lot of mileage out of this uh, this Craigslist ad. <laughs> well,
2: you
1: know about. what? So I
0: Kit, uh, that Craigslist, <laughs> it's well, like Kit's Kit like, well, I responded to a Craigslist ad. I was like, I responded to a Craigslist. It's like Josh literally started an entire. Hey, I, I know how to ask you. good
1: questions to get uh, the right <laughs> candidates in. It's a good, but no, uh, actually, so Alma's was a f- uh, few years before Kit. So. Yeah. Um, when Alma, you know, was leaving Chicago, um, then we, uh, yeah, I, I just repeated the same formula to like, like go look for good candidates. Uh, Amazing. and it works. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately so, it's not so good. Now you can't really do that on Craigslist as effectively
0: anymore. So Alma, were you into comics before you got this job or, or yeah. you working for devil's zoo?
3: Yeah. Um, I've always loved, um, uh, books. I love comic books, you know, um, in the animated shows as well, like Spider-Man, uh, X-Men. Sure. Um, sure. I loved all of that,
0: yeah. 90s X-Men?
3: Yes, definitely. Yeah, that
0: was that was the best one. It had the coolest, that, that guitar riff beginning. Yeah. yeah. Shit's yeah. the best. <laughs> I love that. It's interesting to me that, um, well, A, I think it is really interesting that that you had such success, Josh, with this formula that you were using, um, to find candidates for, for different positions. And, and you ended up pulling in people that were not only great for the job, but ended up being, you know, good enough collaborators that, that here you are like 10 or plus years later and, you know, you're starting a new venture with them. And, and, and it's great because you have all these seasoned people who you also have relationships with. Um, and I think that that's a really good foundation for, for I think think
1: part of it is, you know, that the industry and and honestly, it's times have changed so fast too. like think back uh, a little over a decade ago, it's still a bizarre, you know, unique industry where you don't just go find people who were trained to be in this industry. And now, um, and back then it was even more so, so, you know, but if you've been doing it long enough, you kind of have a sense of the right kind of people that are going to be a fit for it. And, but, uh. I think it's worth you know kind of uh, also just noting like so I almost started it there in the office doing you know anything that we needed done really um, but then um, over time transitioned into uh, she uh, you you actually were my assistant just in ge- just general office assistant personal assistant after a while to help so you kind of like saw how everything ran on the publishing side you know we add part of that was doing conventions and events and you were you had a whole other life outside of us doing. Um, nightlife events and things like that and r- yeah, helping to, cool. you know, run the shows and, and
0: then... Alma's gonna throw all of the cool parties when we can have parties again, right?
3: Yes, basically. Yeah, <laughs> sweet, Alma.
0: But I think it's when you left, you know, then
1: it was like, more like, I haven't talked to Alma in like four years. Oh, hey, we're gonna be at this con in uh, San Diego, you know, can you run the Comic-Con? Like, I trusted to be able to just have her manage the entire event at San Diego Comic-Con, you know, and help run the logistics for all that so yeah um and then you know that was and then you had like what you, you had like a. I know you were like helping forever 21 kind of work on their retail flow and stuff like that
3: so like it's always been like um doing something else and then he'll just call me one day and say hey you know we got this project um this event can you help us and then i'll be like okay and then i'm there
1: <laughs> here's the plane ticket here's the rental car
3: <laughs> yeah well, you know, it's interesting
0: to me, too, because uh, like setting up a comic book convention is no easy task. It is involved. Um, and so uh, we and um, we should we, we actually let, let's talk about it a little bit. Right. Because I don't think that unless you've done it, it, I don't know how you would ever know how much is actually involved in like, you know, maintaining a booth at a at a convention. What was your first exposure to that, Alma? Like, was that with Josh and were you just sort of thrown into the fire or...
3: Yeah, and it was actually a show and then the after party. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was both events um, and it was just sort of like, okay, we're going to go here. And it was my first convention ever. Like I had never been to a convention, any type of trade show. Um, And then it was just like, we got to come up with these events and we just got to do it.
1: For the comic nerds. uh, Yeah, this was the very first ever C2E2. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's a huge show, too. Mm -hmm. We booked out uh, Reggie's Rock Club, which now is like the first place that people try to book up uh, down there. But we had. But you
2: also, for a show like that, you have. Home field disadvantage. Like I, I've always found it to be exactly, dude. Yes, way harder to do a show in your hometown.
1: Oh man, and then you got lo- local hater beef because you're they're mad you got the spot.
0: <laughs> well, so Alma, so what was your first? So that you know, Josh is like, all right, we're doing this thing, and we're doing a trade show, and and there's also going to be a party. So like, walk us like if you can a little bit through like what is that process like? What's the first thing that you have to do? I mean, obviously, I would I would imagine the first thing is like I need to secure booth space. Right?
3: Yeah. Well, that was something that Josh knew very well, you know, how to do. Um, and for me, it was just more about how we were going to accommodate the talent that we were going to have there. And then also being able to talk to the fans, you know, the people who approached the booth, um, you yeah. knowing very well, you know, the uh, books that we were going to have there and being able to talk about them to those who didn't know who we were. Because you're not just only seeing people who already know who you are it's also bringing in new fans and hopefully you know you have a fan out of these conventions you know people who will follow you for the rest of your career and and see what other projects you are um, making so um, and I think that is what it sort of translates into what I'm doing now the fact that I can talk to the investors which and at a convention would be you know the fans that approach the booth but in this case we're gonna do it um you know with the investors in a digital way right now and then eventually hopefully when we can finally get out uh be at events and, and be able to interact with them
1: yeah it's like there's never been anything like this before you know if you've got an ipo if you got a publicly traded company You know, okay, the you buy some stock on a company and you get, you know, your quarterly update. If you're really a passionate investor, you know, you might listen to that. If you you buy some Tesla stock and okay, you see Elon Musk tweet, you know. But if you other than that, there's no engagement really. Um, Whereas you know, WeFunder is sort of you know blends it all together. It's a little bit different. It's more like a Kickstarter feeling, or more you know that you've actually got. You know, a more involved community of investors, and it's an, also an opportunity. Like, it's crazy if you don't take advantage of that opportunity. So, like, there was no one better than all my thought than to have someone who's gonna be interacting with their investors. And and I, up till now, you know, like, because as we're getting the company going and getting the funding, you know, just now where the process of starting to get the funding actually coming in, we're transitioning into where right now it's just like me or even Stuart or anybody engaging with the with the uh, community on WeFunder. Yeah, we're gonna have this awesome group of you know several hundred people where they're part of our they're our fans, but they're also really part of the company. And there'll be so we need to do cool stuff. We need to come up with cool things to do with them virtually. And when we happen to be at a con, um, and the way Pop Cultivator is going to be at a con may be all kinds of different things because it's not actually necessarily going there as a publisher every time. You know, hey, I, I sure as hell hope or you have some events where. We're going to be able to say, hey, by the way, investors, if you are, you know, if you happen to be at this show, you know, come on in. And also some of the bigger, some of the, there's part of our tiers, actually, some of the investors that come in at the higher level, you know, we'll make sure we help them get a foot in the door if they need it to get access to the con. That's cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun.
0: Well, and I also think, you know, Alma, to circle back to something that you were saying, you know, about setting up these cons and interacting, you know, Knowing and this is this goes back to something we were talking about last week is is, you know, knowing the the comics that you're you know, that your publisher is doing or in this case that our studio is making like really knowing them and then taking it one step further and actually being a fan of them makes it so much easier to interact about them on the convention floor and talk about them. I think I forget where we were, but I did a convention with Devils do once and, and I was really there as a, in like as in a writer's capacity kind of shilling my own book but you know you're you're at the booth and so if people come over you, you know you try to at least I tried to have read everything that was going to be at the table to at least understand what it is cuz people ask questions you don't know, want to be like i don't know but also i was a huge fan of of plume and so and I, I find it very difficult to talk about my own work and to like shill myself so i i mean i was very easily convincing people to go pick up a copy of Plume over my book just because I had I was like excited as a fan to just talk about it and be like oh I just read this thing and it's freaking awesome and it's like really great so I think that that kind of excitement and that kind of energy can translate really well in a position like yours or or even in a position like you were in where you're sort of like the voice on the floor or in this case the voice to the investors and and it's like, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to know the product and really enjoy it. And then that translates that like that energy uh, really transfers to people when you're when you're trying to pitch them a product or sell them on something.
2: Aren't you really talking about authenticity?
0: Um, yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. It yes, there is definitely a, a, a level of authenticity that you can't fake that really, really helps.
2: Which is which, which is important in a venture like ours, like. You know, people are, I think people are investing in, you in know, in a, in a venture like this. Yes. I mean, everybody invests because they want to, you know, hopefully they'll see a return on it. But, you know, I think it's more to, because of the, because of the authenticity, because, the, because of the, you know, peek behind the curtain and, you know, understand some of the, some of the secrets that go on and the, the, the levers that get pulled and, you know, um, you know, th- that authenticity that's different. If you, if you just strictly investing to make money. You know, there's a million things you could do and maybe there are people doing that with us and, you know, certainly welcome it. But I think the nature of it is more about that authenticity and community.
0: I do too, especially in these early stages, you know, uh, it's, you know, as you said, it certainly welcome the investor that's like, hey, I just want to like throw my money into this and, you know, see what, how much money I can make back. But, but I think that, yeah, at, at this level, I think a lot of people are going in because, they can see the team that's been assembled here and you know or they know one or multiple of us from some other projects that we did and they know the passion and and as you said authenticity that went into those that makes you go like oh i i i want to see i'll put some money down to see what happens next
1: when you're starting out you just like you get thrown these situations where you have to figure out what the hell you're going to do a lot of times and, and make things work which when you get when you get put into a a convention or an event organization it's kind of like that every single time it's kind of like you you're going into the war field you know but um if you, it's funny if you talk to an event organizer who really knows what they're doing they'll when they're when the planning is going on they'll be very short and curt with you and direct but it's because they know every single thing that's supposed to happen and you just have to know like okay there's 20 people here they got to direct and I'm going to sit and wait but then once it's all when it, once it's all sets off, everything works like a charm. And when a when a weird chaotic thing inevitably comes out, then you you know you, someone knows how to deal with it. Versus a inexperienced event director uh, may be like, "Oh no, it's fine, it's fine." Like in the earlier stages of setup, like the, the hours and days before setup, and then during the event, they're running around like a, like you know like stressing the hell out. And that's kind of a good allegory to the business itself. And when you, um, so, uh, you know, you want to know you have the team that, you know, has the experience of dealing with it all, but I, people will get to see, like, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Richard Branson or whatever. I mean, you're going to still be finding these, you know, yourself in these situations where you're like, Oh man, I got to scramble and make this work.
0: Every, every aspect. Yeah. Every, every, every facet of, of this business particularly is like that. And I think that that applies even on the creative side, you know, I mean, you know, writing is a series of problem solving. Like it's, that's just what that job is is you're constantly, you know, you come up with a good idea and it causes two problems somewhere else. And, um, you know, so I think it applies across the board. And yeah, when you have a team assembled who just knows how to do that and has the experience behind them, um, in their, you know, direct, you know, given, um, you know, field that just makes everything flow m- more smoothly, you know, and solving business problems. I mean, that, that it pops up everywhere. I know Mike, you've got like, you've got some, some solid stories about, you know, last minute scrambling and, and sort of, well, coming I mean, in you're up-
2: talking about conventions and, you know, the, the, the thing that gets amplified in conventions is you've you've got three days to solve your problem. You can't, it can't be delayed. It's got to be solved on the spot. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, just creatively, you know, all the scar tissue you build up in, in, in kind of starting and running small companies, uh, particularly, uh, if you're not, uh, well financed, which, you know, uh, often is the case i always i always say cash is the universal lubricant right that gets things going but you don't always have access to cash you know so you have, you have no choice but to think on your feet
1: that reminded me of uh <laughs> so the stuff that can happen at convention there's always something that just pops up like um there was one year where we we did for a short stint we did a, a suicide girls uh comic with hack Slash back when devils do was publishing that And, uh, so we had, our booth was like, we'd be partnered with all these different people and we allowed them to have part of the, um, the booth and, you know, at a con here's stuff like the average person just doesn't know just the, the union fee to like bring the, the, um, the, if you have books shipped there and you don't have them shipped a certain way on a certain day, just the charge to bring the books from the dock to your booth can literally be charged like per pound. So, um. One time, where we got you know during the con, we get a bill from the union for uh, forty five hundred dollars just for bringing those their uh, the Suicide Girls uh, inventory oh, from the booth well, to, the, from you know, the back to the
2: booth. remember too, you're and, you're you're at a you're at a city when you when you say the union, you're talking about the labor that works for the building, um, and they're typically unionized, and they're just sort of generically called the union in the con business.
1: Yeah, but, there's like there's but, like the carpenters union the uh, the uh, but you're the talking about so, like, yeah
2: like in that example you you need you need a couple hundred books pulled from accessible storage which is just basically a tractor trailer in the back of the hall and some guy's got to go get three boxes and put it on a cart but yeah. but it's Saturday so he's making you know double time of his hourly rate and and it's like a three hour minimum even though he's only going to work for ten minutes you know it's it's a, a the, the rules are not built for small convention um you know the the those billings at those giant things are 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 kind of they're kind of built for like the big car shows when BMW comes and has like a you know a, a small town that they put up you know not not some small publishers you know watching it, it's funny, Yeah it's funny yeah
1: cuz cuz also books like comics are actually are they weigh like per pound per pound like i mean size wise they weigh more than the average like product that those things that were designed for those, those like rates. So um, we like, that's a story where we got out of that. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, that's the thing. That's why it's so important to have someone that knows what they're doing running your events. Uh, Cause they know ahead of time, you know, to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. But I also was like, that's so um, actually I, I do have to be a little, I do a little, this is an opportunity. to. I do a little sales pitchy name dropping hype um, to like toot our horn a little bit. So like with Alma, like, you you know, we it's we were talking about it's so important how you have to know how to literally talk to a customer, but also like she's managed events where like Daryl McDaniels, DMC from Run DMC is one of the guests of honor, you know, like heavyweight boxing champions, guest of honor, like she's curated those kind of people. But at the same time, you while you're managing that, you have to know like, oh, hey, I got to be worried about this one artist in my booth that might not know something need to be shipped there a certain way or you know, all these logistics. So like, I'm just, I'm just kind of like, I'm giving a little shout out there, like to like, let people know, like, Hey, this is the kind of stuff we've done. But then there's also there like the reality of like the nitty gritty of it. And, um, I think we will share some of those stories, you know, uh, as things happen just in our day-to-day business going forward too. And like, uh, Mike and I've shared plenty of stories. Like Sean, you mentioned, like Mike, I know you have, uh, I know you have some crazy ones with uh, like dealing with the toy shipping and an every you know, that whole well, industry. We,
2: we, we're talking about cons. So, I uh, uh, you know, we had. Um, and licensing. Uh, <laughs> you remember when we were doing the, the, you know, we were, I guess it would have been like, I don't know, 2001 or two or something like that when kind of Muppets were, we, we, we had a license to make Muppets action figures, which were kind of a, you know, uh, we, we were sort of a crossover product in that, you know, we were we were really really successful on the con on the con circuit, the comic con circuit, even though we weren't a comic book uh, product. And um, so um, we had uh, one of the one of the more interesting ones we had. God, I could tell a couple of them. Um, but one in particular that that's sort of con related was we. <clears throat> it was actually Chicago, as a matter of fact. We were doing a, we gave away a a beaker figure um, at, the at the Saturday night wizard party. Um, you know, wizard would throw a party on Saturday night and it was kind of like people had to come and it was sort of an obligation to come. And, and, uh, I went to the wizard guys and I thought, you know, everybody in our industry is at this, at this event and they all come and they kind of do their obligation and they have their one drink and then they leave. Like, why don't, why don't you let us give away an action figure as like a, as like a, you know, um, I don't know, just like a little nugget. And it'll promote us, and you know, maybe it'll get people to attend. Um, and because our Muppet figures were crazy hot at the time, you know, we gave away figures, and the next day they're selling for like a hundred bucks on the floor. And so um, we did it at Philly, and then the next show was Chicago, and there was like a line of people to get into the party. Anyway, we um, uh, that particular year was. Um, do you remember Josh when um, when when um, Wizard World was over a uh, 4th of July weekend, right after
1: 9-11. Oh, yeah, because that's when everyone I, I came, to that the back, came to the backyard party, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was – so this is that same year. It was uh, – so um, the 4th of July, like, like that show was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if, if, if memory serves me, the 4th of July was the Thursday. So we all had to go in like an extra day early and set up. But then the, the, the building was closed on 4th of July
1: that party by the way was where one of the parties where robert kirkman was pitching a zombie concepts to eric stevenson at image it's like no sorry go
0: zombie ahead. concept that'll never work <laughs> possibly what kind so of crap we- is that no one wants to read a zombie comic book
2: exactly so for that one we uh we we um we get to the show and we were doing everything last second because basically we were kind of hit by surprise with the popularity of this product line and um so we had a we had a, this character beaker from the Muppets if you remember him, and um, and we had a version of it that was basically clear plastic. We called it um, inv- I think vanishing cream beaker or something like that. Um, and the um, the figure was you know it was, it was supposed to be um, I think it was supposed to be half invisible, like painted from the waist down and invisible from the top up. And we get to the show on the Wednesday and we open up. Uh, we you know we had the the, the freight ship straight from China. Um, we had, had three or four hundred figures to give away at the at the at the party, and we open up that case, and they're all the wrong figure. They had packed the wrong one in the the right packaging, wrong figure. So, you know, this is like this is like Tuesday or Wednesday that week. We get on the phone. We 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 call the factory. We're like, you know, you got to make this right. You know, we, you can't embarrass us in front of our industry. And um,
0: so, wait, was it? I was know it the like, story. Was it broke? Like, was it a, a broken thing, or was it just like they swapped the wrong was, figure in for another? It was. Uh, it
2: was the right key. You know. So, I, I'm. I'm I, I should pull my uh, my old Palisades historian for the exact details because I, I I I have a. All our Palisades fans know our product better than I do, unfortunately. But it was it was supposed to be a beaker figure that was. Uh, I, I believe it was supposed to be half painted. So so if you looked at it from the waist down it would look like the regular action figure and from the waist up it would be clear. And the gimmick was like did he you know he put this vanishing cream on but he ran out. So he's only half invisible. Um and and our packaging says that and it it was just a, it was it's a giveaway but you know we were perfectionists. So we called the factory and um and we're like, no, no, they're supposed to be. You got it. Maybe, maybe it was the opposite, and they gave us all clear ones, and it was supposed to be half clear. I don't remember. the The, the fact is, it was it was it was one of those they, two variants.
0: They like swapped um, out a variant.
2: Sure. Yeah, and so like it's Tuesday yeah. afternoon, and we discover we've got the wrong figure. It's that means it's Wednesday in China, and we just raise a storm. We're like, we need five hundred figures made, produced, shipped, and we have to be here up on Saturday. Um, and um, and you know that 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 all that happened um uh, we had to pay we had to pay saturday delivery like the union fee that 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 Josh was talking about a little bit earlier um but then we got our 500 figures you know they you know, between wednesday and friday they produced 500 new figures in the the right figures in the in the right packaging and sent them out and then we gave out the figures that night at the show uh, you know at, at the party um and then later on that 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 you know quote unquote error figure um, I think that one ended up being the more valuable one.
1: Well, speaking of figures at cons, it just that just reminded me because you brought up in one of the last podcasts how you know we met at that very first ever, like San Diego Comic Con that I ever did, uh, the Devils do ever did. That's uh, where I met Michael Reniger first at Palisades, and then you because of our GI Joe connection. We were there with the GI Joe comics in this little we were pavilion image at
2: the same time, uh, making different kinds of products. Yeah.
1: And uh, but you guys already had a full fledged company, and you had all these statues and stuff well, in the works,
2: or prototypes. I'll let you know a little secret: we had the we had the smoke and mirrors that we were a full fledged company.
1: <laughs> well, let's say it. it was the uh, so that is when I the uh, issue one this was July I think of two thousand and one, so the book hadn't quite come out yet, and I had gotten a license uh, from Hasbro, and then. Was just waiting for the image thing to come out. I, we had, I mean, it was just tiny, tiny office, and, and, uh, we had no money, like, to, you know, until this book came out. And that was going to be months and months later. And I found out that Image would put out a preview book and consider that it was part of the just marketing budget, right? So it wouldn't come out of your, you know, they, they would fund it. They would front the bill for the printing and everything. So in two days, I just worked nonstop and put together a black and white GI Joe convention special comic in time for them to get it printed and, and have it at San Diego. And then just got enough money to to take a plane ticket out there. And there were um, 13 of us. There was 13 of us in this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like some pretty big names who work in comics now that were that were in there. And it was just we were doing anything we could do.
2: We used to always get a suite at the embassy yeah. because uh, – um, or we stayed at the embassy because they were suites because were there inevitably there was somebody last minute who needed a room. You know, totally I mean, I, and that I, was a I, good I, I deal was, for a
1: while that hotel that embassy suites on the corner there but yeah
2: and i and, that I, and was I know, that was like
1: one of the best deals in town for a long
2: time that's
0: first, forever I, me i'm always the guy who needs a room like when they first at every got convention, convention
2: by, uh, by when embassy been first been. got bought up by hilton you know i we used to I, I would book like five rooms five six rooms at that hotel for you know six or seven days so i would get like 40 nights of hilton points
1: okay great we're at the con there is no money coming home <laughs> like once if this doesn't work and uh i think we sold is a five dollar convention book and then the retailers wanted some and you know they, we'd you do a wholesale deal with them i think we walked away with like 12 grand in cash um after just this little tiny little 10 by 10 booth and then had a little camouflage like netting and tarp in the back with some 11 by 17 (laughs) G.I. Joe posters taped to it. And, uh, and just, um, that was it. (laughs) And and it worked, man. People were freaking out for that book.
2: There's a funny, uh, you know, um, it's not illegal, at least in those days it wasn't to, you know, get on an airplane on a domestic flight with, you know, 10 grand in cash in your backpack, but it feels weird.
0: There's a lot of those little things that you don't realize until you go and you do the con. <clears throat> and some of them, a lot of things like we were talking about earlier, with some of the fees and stuff like that are very, they're very cost prohibitive uh, if you're small and they make it really, really hard to do the thing that you want to do or uh, certainly very expensive but there's so many even little things like you know knowing that you're gonna have to travel with a bunch of cash and you know how to properly do that and even having the foresight to get the cash. I mean, I I can't even tell you like the number of times I've gone to a con and gotten onto the floor and went, oh, I have no change when you're alone, then you're like, ah, now I'm going to lose like two hours of possible making money. (laughs) So I'm notorious
1: uh, for not bringing change to the booth and having to go (laughs) ask for it. Don't bring Stylin' on here. He'll ask me.
0: Yep. Yep. I mean, and it's all of those things. It's a very difficult, it, it is a person's job. Like, I mean, you know, it is, it is, enough stuff to do and remember that like it needs to be handled by one person over time you
2: develop systems i mean we had a and and i refer back to my Palisades toys days because we were really active in those days but we had a full system we had a you know our booth our our booth traveled with a with its own fridge and 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 we we, you know we we bought our own floors we weren't renting carpet and uh, and, um you know we we had we had a little you know a little private meeting room we you know we added a fan in there because it gets hot on the show floor sometimes and yep. but you know it just it just evolved over time to where yeah. we, you know we had these systems in place where it, it all worked out oh. we 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 would have um we would have fans come and set up the booth for us in in, in city so <laughs> we didn't have uh, as much travel expense
1: all the didn't we order carpet from like georgia or something yeah it, and had it shipped to Chicago' because it was cheaper than renting, and then we just do throw it away after
3: well I was yeah.
0: just gonna say did Alma? did you find the same thing did you did you find that you developed systems over time and and certain things that you know you would you could you knew you could rely on as far as you know how to you know did you find that the whole process improved each time you did it
3: yeah, and I mean each time it's been different, you know uh the last one um that we did, we I actually our booth looked like a little comic book store. So you know, it was setting up all of these uh, racks to make them look like walls, and then hanging merchandise on them, and then it looked like literally a little comic book store with uh, shelves. Um, and the thing about it too is, you set up these um, booths, and it's only gonna last for a couple of days, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes hours and hours. Uh, to put it up just as it is to take it down um so i think sometimes people don't realize that you know they think that the booths just sort of go up on, by themselves but no it's it's a lot of different things speaking to it the
2: show is, is definitely a uh a, a, it's an energy letdown and a, and a relief at the same time
0: yeah
3: well and you know
0: you were talking before you about the hometown disadvantage but then there's also as alma's just pointing out there there's also hometown advantage cuz like one thing you don't consider is like getting your booth to the place. If the place is not where you live. And like, I, you know, we did a bunch of Florida conventions when I was, you know, living in Florida at the time. And then I remember when we were going to go do the, our first San Diego, it was like, Oh crap. We didn't account for how much it was going to cost to like get all this stuff out there. Like it didn't even occur to us really that, that it was going to, you know, add that much to the, to the cost of, of doing the convention, which, you know, when it adds, like the more the convention costs, like the more you're desperate to make money at the convention. Um, and, you know, we found uh, when I was, I mean, you know, very, very small indie publisher um, that ultimately like a con like San Diego just wasn't worth going to because it cost so much that the pressure to make money was, you know, impossible i mean i'm
1: looking like, forward to it's what a- <laughs> like pop cultivator specifically is being that it's not just you know uh it's going to have partnerships with publishers and we're going to have all these mm-hmm. comic book properties that we don't have to go to a con and worry about books and, and inventory right. um I, i'll still be dealing with all this stuff with my publishing company but but just pop cultivator can really sit back and be like you know what where do we want to go and what do we want to do and how do we want to just just make a dope.
2: I I know we're getting, I know we're kind of, I know we're sort of wrapping here, but, but, you know, um, Lance Fensterman from, from read pop today posted uh, on LinkedIn. He posted, uh, you know, kind of 10 observations from this year. One of the ones that really stood out to me, he said, you know, we are never going to sell out a show again. We're always going to have a combination of, 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 uh, you know, hybrid, you know, uh, uh, of online and, and in-person, and, and and I just wonder I wonder how that's gonna change.
0: I, I feel I would like to believe that in like 10 years, people just go to the things that they went to before. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you start to introduce a new technology and a new way to do things, people start to get used to it. And, you know, younger generations, you know, maybe get, you know, start to expect it and and so yeah i mean that that could be that could be the future their future could just be hey we offer all things both in person and 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 virtually for the people that can't or don't want to I, or
2: i i found it really know. interesting cuz obviously they're in the they're in the live event business and they were massively impacted so you know i was yes. just curious you know and, and you know I, I i don't know if if it's if it's um you know, some of it's hyperbole or maybe they're setting, setting themselves up just in case or, you know, I just, I'm just, I, I was curious about the point and I, you know, I I haven't spoken with them, and, but.
0: So much of that business though is marketing and selling the product that those convention, you know, like for the exhibitors, that's what it is. So you have to imagine there's some type of a to, you know, Hey, San Diego Comic-Con has what, 200, 300,000 people, but if. All of the people on the internet can also see the new trailer that we're debuting. And, you know, that that is just a better advertising pool for them. So, I, I wonder how much of that allure got to them. I, it's I, been a huge beta said, test year for all these, all these like, events. I don't think like DC's, um, like their, I don't think like this year's Comic-Cons did incredibly impressive numbers at least from what what i read about them in the aftermath so i don't know i i really don't um i had
1: had i known had i known we would you know really pivot into just sort of organically flow into this much of a a comic-con um episode uh you know we actually one of our advisors uh, mike broder from the GalaxyCon con like okay. family they are crushing it right now and While so many other convention groups have laid off huge amounts of their staff, um, they've like doubled their staff um, and they've really cracked the code on virtual events and how they're handling them and like really uh, sort of taken a lead on the software, um, which is one of the reasons, you know, I really wanted them as one of the people we refer to for ideas and everything and and for advice. Um, Yeah, it's like, I mean, I haven't talked to Mike in a minute, but they they've some of these places really the crack the code on a lot of the celebrities now know they can set it up where you go into the booth and you you engage with the person directly in a private room. You get that experience and you can still buy all of the stuff that you would have gotten. And then the celebrity like actually Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and then, you know, uh, you can still buy stuff. And, and then the celebrity is like, hey, I just did that from my living room or my, you know. Uh, and or my office and i didn't have to go anywhere it's also really nice if you're like an older celebrity it's harder to get around but you're still like popular um so i mean it's it's uh that's never going to go away and there's always going to be like an upgrade experience and uh yeah actually you know when we start to you know once everyone's sick and tired of hearing uh, us all talk uh, the core team and we start to bring guests in we'll definitely have to bring them in to talk about how they've been handling the cons since COVID. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, you know, look, uh, the the magic of this podcast is that sometimes the conversation just flows to a place, and and we're all seasoned enough in the industry as a whole to to talk about it. Um, but I certainly don't think that means we won't return. I mean, I, I I think that conventions are a huge part of this industry, and and there's a lot to be discussed, and and we only scratch the surface uh, of that, oh. but. We also, um, we also packed in a good show today, so I want to thank uh, Mike Horn, and I want to thank Alma for coming onto the show and telling us a little bit about uh, the this, this mysterious Craigslist ad that seems to so have attracted <laughs> all of these fantastic Which I wish we still employees. had a screenshot
1: of it or something.
0: <laughs> Me too. I, I mean, gosh. Um, And then also I want to remind everyone that uh, you can go to popcultivator.com to check out all the stuff that we're doing. And depending on what point in time you're listening to this, there may or may not be a link to redirect you to our WeFunder, where if you want to get involved, you can, uh, unless that's not happening anymore and then you're too late. And now you've got FOMO because there's all these investors involved. Oh, you missed
1: it. You missed it. You
0: missed it. You blew it. You blew it, buddy. But the good news is you're here now and you're listening to this podcast. So keep listening because you're part of the Pop Cultivator family as long as you're here. And also don't forget to check out uh, our show on all platforms, but uh, Apple Podcasts, if you like and subscribe and leave a comment, that helps other people find the show. And then that means more people listen. And that's always great. And Josh, where can people find you?
1: I'm still blocked from Facebook, but you can find me on TikTok at Blaylock Comics. uh, And you can find me at Josh Blaylock on Twitter. And go to uh, devilsdo.net to see all of the stuff that I publish.
0: Yeah. And check out, definitely do go check out his TikTok for all his fiery TikTok meme dances. (laughs) Yeah, I got to dance to whatever song is hot
1: and turning right now
0: yeah they're spicy and uh mike making what about these stallions
1: you? all <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> he, he whopping it all over the place uh <laughs> mike what about you do you have uh, uh can people find you online do they want to i mean I, you know uh, is, it, is it is it dark or or you got a good online presence it's a dark place. <laughs> no,
2: no I'm, I'm super in the troll. i mean you you know I, my uh you know, my Facebook page is pictures of me skiing and pictures of me and my dogs and my family. And oh, it's just photos way.
1: of Mike skiing off the side of a cliff. No big deal.
2: <laughs> it's just uh, <laughs> I do live in Colorado, um, and and uh, I just you know I was an English major, so I just could not do Twitter from the day it started. It just it just mm-hmm. drove me nuts. All the shorthand and the fours and the U's and the and all that. So uh,
0: no, I'm I'm not kind too. of an old fashioned guy. All right, well, and what about you, Alma? Do you got uh, social media stuff you want to plug?
3: um no well i'm pretty light when it comes to social media i mean you can find me on instagram uh, lilac mod if you want to see some pictures of the shows and different events you know that we've put on uh, yeah. and pictures of cute little dogs um, we do want to
0: see that i want to see all of those things people so definitely
3: love dogs go to- no ahead and tell them all
1: your dogs names i know you want to <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, lilo and nanny and dexter
0: if I've learned one thing about the internet in all my years, it's that they love dogs and cats. So I'm sure people are going to go directly to that Instagram to check that out. Um, so, yeah. And I am, uh, I am Sean Wrights on Twitter. You can find me there. Uh, I I was yelling an awful lot about uh, my frustration with the world, but uh, these days, well, I mean, I'm still yelling a bunch. So if you want to see that, then you should go there and check that out. And again, thank you for listening so yeah and now you can enjoy the uh wonderful intro outro music by our uh friend of the show maker beats uh dj maker go check him out at uh maker beats on instagram where you can listen to cool beats and uh yeah we'll see you back here another time for another episode thank you bye